Today's reading comes from 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when, excuse me, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it, it had come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. This is God's word. Amen. Now pray for us, and then we'll have a seat. Thanks, Tammy. Lord Jesus, would you pour out your grace upon us right now, your people. Those who don't know you, may you make your grace apparent. And uh, would you use the, the reading and the teaching of your scriptures to exalt your name. And Lord, would you be gracious to use me right now. Um, as your servant, pray for you to allow uh, the things of the flesh, pride, desire to be known, all those things to, uh, to not hinder your great mission, Lord, but indeed empower me to, to serve you. And I pray the same for the ears, Lord, give the people of God the responsibility, the desire to learn and not to just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word in Jesus name. Amen. Please have a seat. Open up your Bibles. It'll also be on the screen. We're in first Thessalonians family. Um, wonderful book. I love epistles, uh, especially short ones. You'll see in, in, in short uh, pastoral epistles, there's a, there's a continuation of certain themes that happens all throughout Scripture. Uh, and and a, a lot of times what we can do is we can kind of feel like, um, oh man, well, what else? But there's a reason why the Lord is allowing the repetition so much is because it's something he's really trying to to get in our hearts. Right. And I love like walking through the text kind of in a more methodical way because we get to see we get to zero in and, and kind of remind ourselves of certain things that things that are happening throughout First Thessalonians, for example. Uh, and so what we are. Entering in on, if you are new, as we go through books of the Bible as a local community of faith, we are going through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Um, we usually take some time off in the summer to have different speakers, and then we jump back into a book, and we've, uh, we, we finished uh, Exodus a little bit ago, and now we're in 1 Thessalonians. And this book is, so, is, a, is a wonderful epistle because you have uh, a real like microscopic view of what does it look like um, to view the church of God um, from a pastor's heart, uh, from a missionary's heart, from a church leader's heart. And what does it look like to uh, to want to encourage them in certain things uh, while at the same time trying to monitor them what it looks like to be who they are. And so this is what's happening over and over again. And it's extremely important in this book based on the context of the book, because the context is in the midst of persecution. Right, the context of the book is you have a people who are young Christians, right, and they've experienced great persecution already. 
not only have they experienced it themselves, but first they witnessed it because here's Paul with his, his disciples and they enter into this land. They preach the gospel. Uh, the people that they're preaching the gospel to, in, in addition to them themselves, gets dragged out, right? Beat up. Paul and, and Silas and Timothy are, are basically excommunicated out of the city. Uh, Paul not being able to return. And he's thinking, man, I've been there. It says, you know, three Sabbaths. So maybe we give him three weeks and we maybe ask him, you know, just for conservative estimates. If you had a few more weeks, they weren't Christians more than, you know, at best a few months. I would say, you know, three, four weeks. Uh, then they travel. Paul travels to different lands, uh, continually preaching the gospel. And while he's being faithful, knowing he's been kicked out, knowing that was God's sovereignty. And he goes to Berea, right? And he ends, he's in Athens and he's telling people about Christ and he's seeing disciples be raised up. He's seeing people grow growing the Lord. He's still thinking about those Thessalonians. He's still, still thinking about Thessalonica. Man, we left people who just became Christians. They were starting to walk with the Lord, man. I mean, we, we just started small groups. You know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, we're out of here. How are they doing? But think about that, and I keep saying this to us as a people. If you're pouring to someone, and you're mentoring them, or you see someone get the gospel, someone understands the good news of Christ, Right. And then you, you have to leave. That's already that's already hard. It's like, wow, well, are they growing? Are they reading their Bible? Are they are they telling other people about Jesus Christ? Are they are they tithing? Are they are they being faithful are they, with their tongue? You're, you're thinking about all these things. But think about it from a perspective. In addition to that, you leave people in the midst of persecution. Oh, you didn't leave them. You got kicked out because of persecution. So, so actually, as it were, you got to leave the drama and they're still in it. So add that to just the reality of wanting to walk with Christ. But now you're asking these young Christians without leaders who can pour into them to walk with Christ in the midst of a day and age, just like now, where people hate God. That's what's going on in First Thessalonians. That's the... That's the infrastructure in which Paul says, I want to send this letter. And so he encourages these guys and he said, I want you to know a few things. I need you to know that I'm proud of you, that I'm blown away at God's grace in you. I'm amazed that you're you're walking with the Lord. And how I know, because, man, not only just the reality of your character, but your character shows itself because people in other parts and other lands are saying those Thessalonians, man, are just seeking God. They're, they're, they're walking with Jesus Christ. So I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at God's grace and what he's doing in you. I want to encourage you that that lets me know, hey, be encouraged. You are a believer. You, he, he wants to solidify. Not, this is not some weird doctrine of like once saved, always saved. We can argue about that later. What he really is trying to centralize on is upon the grace and sovereignty and the protection of God. That God grabs you and he won't let you go. It's really about God. That's why that sometimes that debate kind of weirds me out because we put a lot of focus on us. Where if God is sovereign, and if He said, "When I grab you, I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let you out of my hand." Why are we still arguing? So now, my my part as a pastor is to preach lordship, and I know the person that God really grabbed, He gonna hold them. He letting folk go. Right? 
So Paul wants to encourage them in the sovereignty and the majesty and the, the power of God. God has you. And oh, let me just tell you from my human eyes, this is Paul. I always remember this. This is amazing. It's hard to do this, right? Brother wrote 13 books, perhaps, of the Bible. Most amazing theologian in all of history. So it's hard to see him just as a dude. Right? You read the Bible and you just think these people are just like, it's hard to see them, you know, walking around and, you know, getting hungry and, and, and like being grumpy in the morning. You know what I'm saying? Like being loose with the tongue and having to repent to his brother. It's hard to see these people walked and lived a life of faith. (laughs) Just like all of us. It's hard to see that. But But I want us to see that because that's important as we look at him trying to encourage these people that, hey, in my human eyes, I don't really know. Only God is sovereign. I don't know who's believer and who's not. But I'll propose to you that I'm convinced you're a believer because of some fruit I'm seeing. So he wants to encourage them. I'm seeing you stand firm in the midst of persecution and still be willing to say, we love Jesus. That lets me know that you, God has done something in you. So he wants to encourage their faith. And while he's encouraging their faith, as you're reading the book, don't miss that, right? As you're reading in 1 Thessalonians, he, he's wanting you to see, oh, he's encouraging their faith. So, okay, so he's encouraging my faith, but also he... Wow, he's, he's actually kind of encouraging them to, and this one other thing I've told you I want you to be about, is understanding like the heart for, for missions outside of Detroit, right? That I hope this book gives us a, a passion and a heart for, for those who are lost and those who are persecuted, right? That it'll, that it'll encourage us like, man, okay, in this world now, people are still being persecuted like that. Even though we sit here and we have Bibles all in every pew, this is not the norm in some places in our world, Right? And so Paul is encouraging these guys. He, 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 he also is, at the same time, he's wanting them to, to look at his life and see, oh, okay. I'm looking at what Paul did, how faithful he was, how, man, how he poured his life out as a drink offering, how he says he was like a dad to me and he was like a mom nursing. He, was, he gives all these familial examples. Man, I think Paul is trying to do something, not just... Like, hey, I'm here and you can't be like me. I think he's, he's sharing these things because he wants me to be like this. He wants me, as he led, to eventually lead others, right? And, and oh, and now I have a template, right? The template isn't selfishness. The template isn't get mine and I hope you get yours, right? The template is, the template is man, I, I pour myself out to you. I live with you. I, I, man, we hung out together. I got, I got beat up for you, right? I didn't even take money because I didn't want that to be a stumbling block for you to go, well, I would have believed Jesus, but you know, I saw you being kind of shady. Not any of that. But you love the Lord. So that's what's going on in the book, family. If you're new, I hope that helps. If you're here, I hope that recalibrates your heart and seeing what Paul is doing, just the, 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 what he's struggling with as a, as a pastor's heart. He's, 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 you know, it's this theologian. He's trying to encourage him in their faith. He wants to model healthy faith. He wants to spur them on to keep walking. Keep on keeping on. And so that's what's happening here as we enter into chapter 3, family. And look what he starts out by saying. Look at my phone and see what the time is. He starts out with that kind of tenor. Therefore, as he continues on, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. Right? He's, he, he, this is this picture again. At Timothy and Silas, basically... There in Berea, and, and uh, when Paul Paul fled to Athens, uh, they were expected to, it, it, the theologians would say, expected to join Paul in Athens as soon as possible, but something happened. 
Paul was like, he was antsy, guys. He, he was wondering. He, it, was, it was suspense. He was, he was like, man, like, how are they doing? Can you just imagine? He's like ministering the gospel, but he just, the, the, the picture is of a, of a man who's just kind of like, I'm praising God. I'm, I'm seeking God. I'm wanting other people to be known in other lands, but there's just something. I need to see how those guys are doing. How are they doing? Right? And it says in verse 2, And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the, in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Um, right? He just couldn't, I love it, he just couldn't handle it anymore. He just, you know, he just, he's like, oh, you ever, you, ever been, you ever been to a movie with people who, who just, they just can't wait to see the ending, and they want to do just tell them the movie before? It's kind of frustrating to me. She's like, that's me, actually. Right, right, right? right? You've seen a movie, right? You're sitting at home, right, Netflix, and they're like, you know it's about to be a good part. And instead of letting them enjoy it, they're like, well, I, oh man, is he going to live? What's going to happen? Eric, Eric, what's going to happen? What's going to it's like, man, calm down. Like, watch the movie. Let's just let it draw out. No, I got to know. That's my, my, my sweetheart. She, 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 she does not, she's not into like wanting to just enjoy it. She just, just tell me everything so I can just relax. And okay, he going he gonna to live. Okay, okay. Let me just watch it now. Right, and I want you to be like get the whole like oh, oh okay you know so so that's our journey right I'm sure we even have a friend we either, we are either that person or we have a friend that you like I mean, if I watch a movie with this cat I'm gonna have to we're gonna we're gonna start arguing because he gonna keep talking I'm trying to watch the movie but I, I say that that's kind of the sense that you get here with Paul is like the the anxiety like he just he's just so like I need to know what's going on I I need to know how this is how things are happening there to the point he's like. I've got to send somebody. I got. I got to send somebody. And it's interesting, he sends Timothy. And can I just pause? This is just. I just want to give Timothy some love here because I feel like when people read the epistles, uh, we we kind of give Timothy a bad rap. I don't know. I just feel like he comes off like um, in theological circles as a guy who who's like just like timid and weak and like you know. I just feel like he gets kind of a bad rap. Where I want to propose the scriptures actually speak very. Finally, of Timothy, and he's you know he was a church leader. So I just want to encourage us that this brother, for them sending for him sending Timothy, was actually in itself a declaration of his love for the Thessalonians, because he sent basically one of his most trusted individuals to say, "I'm sending you creme de la creme to care for you." If you can uh, turn to Philippians chapter two, verse nineteen, just to infer, just to affirm your hearts in Timothy and how Paul viewed him. That'll be a good passage. There's other passages as well, but I think this is a good passage of how Paul viewed Timothy um, in the gospel, his young brother that he had served and cared for. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Look at this, verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all, look at this, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see it will go, uh, how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So this is how he treats, this is how he treats the church of Philippi. Again, the only thing I just want you to see there, I love that term there, uh, when he says, uh, that basically he sends this co-worker, this this, uh, this co-worker with him. I'm looking for the key term here, uh, but the, the term is oh. But you know Timothy's proven work. How as a son with a father he has served me with the gospel. 
Um, the term here he uses is, is called, is, it has the, uh, the ISO, which is part of, of the term, which means equal soul, being of equal. And he calls him God's, God's worker or God's co-worker, which is interesting to me. Um, he says, I have no one, there it is, verse 20, no one like him. Basically, I have no one who, who's of equal that basically who kind of meets me and I feel like, man, he's kind of like, like I am. So I just say that to say, hey, when you're reading Timothy, you're reading 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, you're reading through the epistles, just to know that Timothy is extremely uh, important to Paul. And it was not uh, a smack in the face for Timothy to be the one sent uh, to the people of God. Now, the question is, in this, in this passage here in verse 2, he says he sends Timothy and he says he sends him to do what? As God's co-worker to establish and exhort them in their faith. Now, this brings up a couple questions, family. First, how do you strengthen? Right. That's the word exhort um, to establish. Like the, the word is kind of strengthen. How do you strengthen? Well, I want to say you strengthen through encouragement. Okay, and I get that because, well, how do you encourage? Look at what the scriptures say uh, in 1 Corinthians verse 14. I'm sorry, chapter 14, verse 3. This is interesting. It says, and you can look at the whole passage when you get a chance at home, but don't miss this. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. This is how you encourage. On the other hand, the one who prophesies, that's a person who speaks truth. That's what he's talking about here. Not for foretelling, but speaking truth. Speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation, right? I say that to say this is important because he's asking, uh, he's telling these guys, I'm sending Timothy, and what I'm asking him to do is to encourage you in a way, I mean, the way you are strengthened, the way you are encouraged, the way that happens is when he speaks truth to you, right? So I propose to you guys that you strengthen people with the truth of God's word, that's how you are. That's how you are an encourager. That's how you strengthen people. You know, why are you landing there? This is very important. You strengthen people through the proclamation and truth of God's word. Right? He didn't want their Christian life to be affected. He didn't want them to fall into affliction. The reason why this is important, family. If I can just take a little quick pause here, is. You know, we, we often talk about in Christian circles, we understand. So people who have a prophetic gift, people who like, kind of tell it truthful and are very truthful, uh, a lot of times get a lot of airplay of in being so truthful can lack tact and can bring damage upon people. Right. And so I think we hear that. I think we know that. We know like even my gifts of prophecy, I have to be careful because people sometimes can't handle what I'm laying down. Okay, and so now, now that doesn't mean I, I don't tell the truth, but that means like you know, just like with you know, Rubber Tussin realized, man, we need to make great Rubber Tussin because people don't like the regular Rubber Tussin, you know. So here's a grape Rubber Tussin, you know, make a little, little grapey, you know, right? You got to figure out how to how to serve it to people. So we get a lot of airplay from from understanding that people with prophetic gifts. We, we, we clearly can see how that can bring damage upon a church if it's not done with discernment. But you know what we don't talk much about? It's how people with gifts of compassion and mercy really mess up the church, too. You hear that passage there? I propose that people, and, I, and I've seen this pragmatically, and I just want to put that out there, because I think we, don't, we never talk about that. But I have seen people with the gifts of compassion and mercy literally destroy churches. 
destroy churches. You go like, man, that seems kind of harsh, Eric, with that gift prophecy you're using right now. Right? You say, how, how is that? Can I, can I tell you why? Because I've seen people sit around and basically they throw pity on everybody who asks for it. And so some people come on, oh, I'm so sad. And you don't care what the issue is, you give permission to throw pity. And you think you're being godly. You think you're honoring God. Right? And so calm and comforting you're being sometimes, which is actually good, sometimes they're all gifts, just like my gift. Used to an extreme, used without discernment can be a great detriment to the church. As it were, your gifts of mercy and compassion and gentleness can absolutely be abhorrent to the church if it's not used with discernment and if it's not used girded in truth and if it's not used led by the Spirit. It can totally destroy the church because what happens is you're thinking people need at that point calm and comforting when they should be getting rebuked or corrected from the Lord. When they should be, you're calming people and you're comforting them when sometimes people need to be invigorated. They need to be spurred on. No, get up! Gird yourself! This is time to quit playing and crying. This is time to get right. You need both family. Hear that. Sometimes you just going on, okay, whatever you think is okay, you're killing them. And I've seen it destroy, it almost split this church. I've seen it practically. But because the world, hey, Timothy already said it. Guys, don't miss the word. The word says the world loves itching ears. We have itching ears. We love when people tell us what we want to hear. We love that stuff. I messed up now. Tell me it's okay, Charles. So I can validate myself. Sometimes, guys, and, and say, I missed the story, baby. Remember Lita Schleter? It's one of my favorite stories at seminary. So Lita Schleter is our dean of students. Well, she was our dean of students at Gordon County. I don't know if you ever met her. And a wonderful, golly woman. And she has this accent. I don't know where she's from. She has this really cool accent. And, uh, I mean, she literally helped me get through school. Wonderful woman. I walked up to her. I was really sad. Man, I asked the Holy Spirit to remind me why I was so broken and sad. Did I have an accident or something? Yeah, I had a, a car accident with my brother. Yeah, I remember, well, in my brother's car. But I walked up to her and I just had a lot of stuff going on. You know how things, like little things start piling up, like you get an accident, and then like a friend don't talk to you, like three or four things. You'd be like, what's wrong with my world? You ever had those moments? Where like, Satan will just throw like a big truck on you. He throw like a few pebbles, you know, and then big bricks, and then all of a sudden it just piles up. And I was feeling really heavy. So I walk into the dean of the student's office and shit, wonderful guy, the woman. I'm like, oh, Lita. And tell her all my stuff, all my troubles and stuff. And I, I mean, it was amazing. She looked at me. She was like, oh, Eric. Oh, we, we got, oh, you, you're having a pity party right now. We, no, see, when Satan sends us a pity party letter, we write on that letter, return to sender. <laughs> I never forget what she said to me. I forget the journey, but I never forget what she said. That she didn't give me one moment to gravel. She was like, "No, no, 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 no." We returned that to sender. Satan trying to. He sent you a letter, pity party. You want to open it up and go, "Yes, you're right, Satan. Life has been hard. Yup, that was bad. I can't believe it happened to me too." Satan's so right. And Satan right. Yup. Oh, we go. I cry. She's like, "No, no, 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 no." She was like, "No." 
You take that and you put return to sender. You just got to the wrong address, bro. Not this one. Wrong address, Mr. Satan. Return to sender. Can I propose to you? Sometimes, sometimes, no, don't miss this. You need to pause. And even though you know the truth, you need to come alongside. But see, see, here, can I be honest? We know that, but sometimes we forget that second part. We do the compassion, but we forget step B. The truth. The truth. I'm telling you that God said, hey, you're going to encourage, I'm going to encourage them. And the way we encourage people is through the proclamation of what God says about his world, what he says about his people, and what he says about what's going to happen in his world. That's what we have to do. So sometimes there's a moment to be, and that's what God says, there's a moment for an app word. And sometimes you need to be like, yeah, man, that's right. And then you'll hit them later. Sometimes right in the midst of those lies they are believing, you need to say, I love you enough to say, please shut up. And we are going to believe God right now. Because right now, I love you enough to say, you're not believing God. I pray for our body to figure out and to, to wrestle with that on how to do those things well. Although, hear me, none of them are higher than the other. They all work together in a beautiful quilt work fabric to exalt Christ. When people are discerning and prayerful on their mercy gift and their compassion, and they're discerning about how to give truth. So be prayerful. And it's very important for all of us, family, to, to know your weakness. It's very important to know if you are a fluff ball in the flesh. And that people can give you any story and you just crying with them and you ain't thought about what's true about it. And you got to also know when you can destroy people because your words are so harsh. You got to know your weakness so that when you step into those moments... You can just go, man, like I, I know usually I don't even like to hear this crap. Right? Some of us, we, God has given us a prophetic heart where it's like, man, that's just a lie. But that does not helpful all the time. And so to know like, okay, here's how I'm feeling. All right. What do I need to do here? Same way. Man, I just love when people like that I hug them. People just, I just love to be liked. Okay. It's going to feel really weird because they might not like me right now. You see what I'm saying? He says here, he sent Timothy to establish and exhort. You hear that? To establish and exhort them in their faith. Um, This is hard. This is the heart of the pastor. Let me ask you. It's a practical question. You look at the text here. I think the one practical question is, hey, he's asking them to strengthen the brothers, encourage the brothers. How are we doing? Do you find your MO? Do you find that you are walking around our community, walking around our local body? Are you strengthening the brothers and sisters? Right? Are you encouraging the brothers and sisters? Are you giving life? Right? Hey, this, is, this isn't about your opinion, your experience. Truth. Are you... Are you, are you pointing people to, the, to that future grace family? Are we doing that? Let's, let's kind of ask the Lord to gird us in that. Uh, verse, verse 3. That no one... Why? Why, am, why do I want to... Timothy, I'm sending Timothy to, to do this, to, to encourage you, to exhort you, that no one be moved by these afflictions. He sees it fit that, man, you're going to need some truth to be able to handle this stuff. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. 
He's afraid. He's afraid that they will be moved. Right? I feel this as a local community pastor. I just want our people to just, I'm just, Lord, like for myself, my family, for all of you, just wanting us to stand firm and not to fall prey to lies. The most horrible thing to feel as a community leader, which many of you are, is when you see people starting to take lies and digest them. And you just go, man. And, and then when you're in a game long enough, you, you, you can see the patterns. Like Satan has the same old tricks. And it just breaks your heart. So he is a pastor's heart. He's a freedom. He doesn't want to see that. He doesn't want the pressure. He doesn't want that, the pressure to shake him. Right? He wants them to stand strong. He wants to make sure they're standing strong. Look at the scriptures in Psalm 62. We see this, this concept. The scriptures read, you can write that address down. It says, For God alone my soul waits in silence from he come, from him comes my salvation. He alone. Verse 2 is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. What does he say? We sing the song all the time, right? I shall not be shaken, right? That's that concept there. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Verse 6, he alone is my rock and my salvation. Exact same words again. It's a cool song. See, you ain't got to write songs in Christianity. You can go to Psalms and just like take the little chunk out, put a beat to it. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Verse 7. On God rests my salvation, my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. You see that? You see what David's going through there? He, David's like, hey, get a, I'm getting attacked. I might get attacked, but God is my rock. See that? He, he, he won't be moved because of that. He's, he's talking about what does it look like, you know, young people, as you grow in your faith, what does it look like to be immovable? Ask yourself that question. What does it look like to, to not be shaken with things that come your way and lies and beliefs? And, and you know all the stuff that, 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 that screams at you every day. How do you stand firm in Christ and enjoy him? See, persecution is meant. See, Satan means it to beat you up. That's the concept. To move you, to shake you, to, to make you feel unstable, right? So you start doing weird things and start grabbing hold of whatever you feel like can stabilize you. Start grabbing hold of things that you shouldn't be grabbing hold of. But God's like, no, Psalm 62, I'm your defense. He hopes they get this. Now, a couple of things I want to say. So the whole concept of why do we suffer? You know, we, we talked about this a lot in our community, but I want to keep bringing it up until we get to Eric. I get it. Don't ever bring this up again. This doctrine of suffering. Why do we suffer as a community? Remember this. One of my favorite passages in Colossians 1. Right? Why do we suffer as a community? Why do the people of God suffer? Because I propose that suffering and love, there's many other ones, but suffering and love are kind of the, some of the clearest pictures of, of the good news of how to retell the story of Christ. That you retell the story clear, or one of the clearest ways is when Christians are seen as suffering saints and when you see our love. That, that, that people go, oh, that's Jesus, right? And the suffering piece is why? Because, again, God, he does not do the whole back to the future thing. He doesn't take people that he wants to become Christians and then to- teleports them back to the early century so they can see Christ hanging up the cross. And they can, he can go, see, told you he died for you. You should give your life to him. And he go, okay, Lord. And he teleports them back here in 2017. And they say, well, I'm a Christian now. Well, why? Because I was that in, two, in, one, in 1 AD and I saw Jesus hanging on the cross. So I became a Christian, right? I would do that if I was God because that seems much easier. He doesn't do that. 
You know what He does? He brings the cross to 2017 through you. And so what he does, he says, I'm going to have you walk around. I'm going to have you suffering. I'm going to have you pouring your life out, giving your money to causes where people don't appreciate it. I'm going to have you having people over for dinner. I'm going to have you seeing people speak bad about you, but you still pour out love. I'm going to have you praying for people when they try to malign you. I'm going to have you doing the things that the world has never seen where you love radically. And I go, oh my goodness, why are you caring like that? Why are you so self-sacrificial like that? Why are you so loving like that? Why are you literally pouring your life out for people like this? Oh, because that's what Christ did for me. And so all of a sudden, they get a clear picture of an Andrew who's on his cross. And they go, oh, now I understand the crucifixion because I see it in your life. That's it. literally you and I are pictures to recapitulate, retell the story of the crucifixion. That we say Christ did die on the cross. You know how I can propose that to you? Because you see me on my cross because I'm on the cross that my king was on. We tell that story well. That's why you suffer. It's a picture of a snapshot of God's glory through people. He sees himself as maximizing his glory in that way. D? Um, I wasn't Islamic. Uh, I'm a Christian. First Peter speaks to that very good question. The question is, how do you know you're suffering in this life? I'll say trials and suffering are the same thing. Um, I, I will, can I delineate two things? First, the separate, the separate component of suffering because of the kingdom advancement and God's glory and suffering because you're evil. Right. I am not caring about you suffering because you're evil. Okay, you put that on you. I put that on me. That's what God said in first Peter. He's like, don't be getting all crying and stuff when you know you cheated her on her and then she burned your car up. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't cheat. Be faithful. You know what I'm saying? Now, then there's other things. You know, I don't know why my my analogy is be jacked up, but (laughs) but then you have suffering for the kingdom right now. Um, me and Sarah were talking about this one day. It was a really good point Sweetheart made. She was looking at Gospel Coalition. Um, there's, there's two components of suffering, right? There's the actual action of suffering where things are happening to you because you're extending God's kingdom. You're living a life on this world, right? And you're extending God's kingdom, and then the world kind of reacts to that because the world does not love God. So you're trying to be faithful. You're trying to be honoring in your job. You're trying to love your neighbors. You're trying to do these things, and the world's like, man, why are you saying that stuff to me? Why are you, you know, those things happen. But then there's also an interesting part of Christian suffering that we don't talk a lot about, and that is just the essence of being remade in God's, basically God makes us in his image is marred and then we get recreated and rebirthed and God gives us kind of eyes to see like him and so now the suffering is almost in a sense of you being aware just different than an unbeliever of the brokenness of this world and so now it's like you feel the weight of sin and the weight of evil because it's like before you, you know, it's almost like you're sitting around and all of a sudden you get saved and all of a sudden you see things flying around. So you're like, oh my goodness, I never saw this. It's the spiritual realm. I bring up the spiritual realm because we need to, you need to understand guys, we don't have flesh and blood. And so, and so then that's why um, something as simple as, you know, you, we have family members that we're not super close with and that pains us and, and it hurts us. And it's because, you know, we're extending God's kingdom and all that. But also I think there's a component in there because as we're Christians, God, he kind of recalibrates that story and says, like now in Christ, you know what that relationship could be. So there's a brokenness because it's like, man, this is just not how it's supposed to be. See, the unbeliever, they're just like, they don't know. 
You know what I'm saying? You become a Christian. You start seeing that stuff. No, friendship should be deep. We should be knowing each other. And you should be knowing me and I should know you. And we should be able to confess. And when something goes wrong, you don't move. We just talk about it. And we should, right? And then those things don't happen the way they should be. And you go, oh, the world, it hurts so much. Right? So there's those two components of suffering. There's that, that reality of suffering with extending God's kingdom. And there's the reality of suffering because you're made new and God has given you a whole new lens of his world. And so now it makes you want to say, Mary Nath, the Lord Jesus come to make this brokenness be done. You see what I'm saying? So it's those two. Um, I forgot where I was. Oh, so we talked about suffering. Um, now love, love it. So that, so, so that's suffering. Then I want us to understand love as a Christian. Um, love, love is interesting because we don't. Let me just. We don't. We we love for affection, right? We in, in the flesh because we we see in, in the world you you love because you see you you almost get something for it. And that's what makes love interesting, right? As a unbel- I mean, as a Christian versus an unbeliever, because there's a whole new like you know you hey you got to love each other. We need to love be a loving church. I, I'm like we got to love each other. Well, be radical. And then sometimes you're sitting there and under your breath you're thinking, I mean, you want me to love him? I don't even like that dude. You know what I'm saying? Can we be real? And you go well then why am I still mandating and saying we can do this? We can love each other, even people you don't like. You can kind of love and care for and be your locking arms and, and will die for people who you like. Man, I would never hang out with this dude in the natural, right? Because the world has twisted it where love has an affection tied to it, where in the sense of that, or I'll say an ungodly affection, where it's like, well, what can I get from this? There's a utility component to the love that the world tells you, where, where God's love is, is more centered, or God's love, and us loving people, is not centered about what I'm going to get from the person, but it's really about that exaltation of God. So like, the love for us that we have for people is actually not people-focused, it's actually God-focused. Like, we love because God loves. You got that? It's a little weird. Like that, and so the, the motivation, the reason why I can love people who are, as it were, unlovable, and the reason why people can love me when I'm unlovable, is not because I'm lovable. See, that's the difference. The world tells you, I love you when you're lovable. So, well, but see, you see why that, you see, now you see why you have a divorce? Because we're all unlovable many times. And if you're unlovable, consistent in love, that brings divorce. <laughs> Right? That's the only, only reason why the world can even sustain some sense of marriage because we have our spouse where we're unlovable and then we're lovable. And go, oh, I was going to leave. Oh, okay, you're nice now. You, you made me a cake. You know? I was going to leave. Oh, you did some good. And so we're lovable, unlovable. But what happens? I just think that's natural. What happens when you're unlovable in a consistent amount of time? <laughs> it's like you're unlovable and you're unlovable and you're unlovable and, and had no, no bouts of lovability in there. You break out the relationship. Well, Christians don't. Because that was never our motivation from the jump. We love because God loves. Right? He loves the unlovable. Not because he gets something from us, but because it honors him. It honors his name. So when our motivation is God-centered, where we're like, man, I love, I care, because God does, it changes the game. So, but if we think I do for Christ, um, because these people are this or that, it just it messes things up. So I just say that because I want us to understand loving as a Christian is very different. Theology of suffering is, is an area that we got to consider to be able to kind of be immovable. And then the question I want to ask you guys is why does he lead? Why does he lead with this information? Right. 
Like, why, why, why is it so important that he says, hey, to three-week-old three Christians, you're going to be afflicted. You're going to, man, we, you saw it. Because you look at the text here, he's been saying this to them a lot. So he was saying this to them in like week one. I never did. I've been in Christian ministry for 20 years. I don't think I ever started the game. Oh, man, you want to love Jesus? Praise God. I'm so excited, Joe. Hey, man, you can get afflicted and persecuted. People are going to beat you down. just want you to know that. Praise the Lord. I love you, brother. Who? I mean, who, who's done that? I've never done that. I was, I was convicted by the passage. Right? Look at the passage. He's, he talks about later in the passage, you're going to see, he's like, this is what we said to you over and over again. Well, he was only there three weeks. You had that much, all the stuff you're going to talk about in the gospel. I mean, look at that. In our, in our discipleship binder, affliction is in there, but it's like week 10. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was convicted. Why do I bring that up? Why does he, why does he leave this information? Look what the scriptures read in, um, in Acts chapter 14, 21 and 22. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Okay, (laughs) this is what he's talking about. He says, uh, John 16, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. This is what motivation. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But verse 4, I have said these things to you. Look at this. That when the hour comes, you may remember I told them to you. This is the same thing in, in, in 1 Peter 4. I'll read that in a moment. Can I propose to you? Here's why he leaves with this. It's not marvel, but I think it's powerful for us to digest as a family. He says these things and he leads with this because when we know something is coming, it's easier to withstand. When you know something, right? When you know something's coming, you kind of can brace yourself, right? I told, I told uh, Jake I was going to say this. Um, I love the story of their first birth of Rohan because the, fun, the story basically goes like this. We, we're at Matt Group. We're like, girl, so it's going to be like this. It's going to be like that. You know, so she getting counsel from, you know, from Sarah, the Sarah's and other people in the body. And man, we, we, you know, we gave her, it was good truth. But man, she was like, she was like, man, this is going to hurt. So she was like, okay, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. So she goes through the whole, like the whole labor and her narrative is basically, man, uh, every time it got crazier, I thought, oh, it's going to get crazier. It's going to be, no, it's going to, it's going to get crazier. So I got to, I got to really get crazy now, oh, you know. And she said she got to the point where they was like, you at, you ready to have the baby now. You're at 10. And she was like, cool. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I know that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a bridge version. But I, but I just, I, you, know what it, you know what it showed me? It's a practical picture of someone saying, look, I was so ready for this that when it got here, here, I was still like, look, it told me it's going to be like this. Right, and so I, and so she was ready. She was like, "I'm ready for, I'm ready for war." You know what I'm saying? And and so she's like, "Oh, we we did it." I want to propose that Jesus and Paul and all these men—they're trying to encourage the people of God because they're saying, "You need to know. You need to. You need to be ready." Right. First Peter four twelve says, "Beloved, look at this. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you." As though something strange were happening to you. He's like, look, when, when you guys get, when you get all this stuff that's happening to you, he's like, why are you so surprised? 
Why are you going up to Lita telling my Lita my car turned over? I'm so things are so crazy today. Why are you surprised? I told you that your life's gonna get crazy. Two reasons, because it's gonna get crazy, and also because the world was crazy, you just didn't see it before. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Rejoice. And so that stuff's gonna happen. You just go, man, I must be really a Christian. <laughs> they try to kill a brother. Right? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Like, that'd be your response. Like, I, I, I'm a, the Lord saved me. Because look at this. He tried to, this is crazy. She just calls me. You know, that's how you want to be. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, listen, I don't miss that. That the, the, the Lord is saying when you experience suffering and kingdom advancement, he's saying at that moment, God's glory is revealed through you. God gets glorified in those moments. In those moments, there's a picture of Christ. So, I mean, yeah, I just think the biggest hurdles are hard to, are hard to grapple with when you surprise. I don't know, I, I use that example, but think about any area you're in, in life. I mean, man, you, you're on a roller coaster and you don't expect a hill. What do you, I mean, you, you know, and you're like, ah, whoa, 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 get real serious. Or we were in, wrapped in the Nile River, and I remember all these guys were like, all being arrogant, you know, from different um, countries, and we're going gonna to kill this, it's going to be awesome. And we all didn't know it was like three or four Category 5s. And then the first one like took our boat and flew it over there and flew the people over there. And we're in this washing machine for like, you know, and I'm thinking I'm going to die. My wife's screaming some other dude's name, Rory, because I couldn't get her. And I was like, baby, any man for himself, baby. I hope you make it. You know, it got real, right? We got back on the boat 20 minutes later, whatever. Everybody was like, what, 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 do, you, what do you say? I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> right? Isn't that what we say? You on a plane, hanging out, eating your nuts. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Everybody get real quiet. Whoa, whoa. I was expecting. You know, now, if you got on the plane, you probably won't get on it. But it's like, it's going to be a lot of turbulence. It's going to get crazy up on here, y'all. I'm telling y'all right now, make sure you have a seat, but it's going to get crazy. You'll be up there the whole time like this, right? And you might get like this. You'll be like, oh, okay. You see what I'm saying? There's something to what God is doing here. He prepares your heart so that you're ready. Verse 4, he says, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. See? We kept telling you beforehand. I see this amazing. Three weeks in the game. He's two, week two, week one. They're hanging out. He's like, let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. Also, you know, you're going, it's going to be a lot of affliction now. You know how they are. You know they're talking about us. Just as, as check this out. Just as it has come to pass, and just as you know, he's like, "Look, I told you it was going to happen. Hey, is it happening? I hope that affirms you that this thing is real." That's what he's saying. And he ends in verse five. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. You see that? He said, "I couldn't. I just couldn't bear it any longer. I wanted to send someone." To learn about your faith, to exhort and encourage you. I didn't want that, that evil one to tempt you. And a few things I want to um, talk about, and then we're going we're gonna to head home. First thing, uh, we had a good convo in, in Matt group. How do you know when something, you know, because everybody's, you know, Satan's tempting me. Satan doing this, Satan doing this, Satan. How do you know when it's Satan and when it's, if it's your flesh, right? And I want to propose that it's, it's a discernment issue. But I think it's healthy to have that language of being able to recognize and call out satanic attack. 
first. Again, understanding that this is a spiritual realm. Things are very healthy to call out satanic attack and be able to see that and recognize it and be discerning in that. Seems to me as I read scripture, when you're reading scripture, that, that when you, it seems comfortable to talk about Satan and demonic attack happening when you see kingdom advancement is going on in your life or through you and then there is a roadblock. Okay? So it doesn't seem like everything which is how we do it a lot of times. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh man, they have no bananas at Trader Joe's. Satan's a liar. You know, it's like, no, not really. You know what I'm saying? But it's when you are extending God's kingdom and discipleship, preaching the gospel, you know, trying to have an outreach, trying to love your wife well, trying to read the Bible to your kid. You're trying to do things where, where God will be made known and then there's a hindrance. It seems that the Bible, you see the opportunities where he's saying, Satan was using his lies. I'm um, just for the sake, yeah, just because it's, it's, it's let me, let me, go ahead. <laughs> he's not omnipresent, but he is present. And, and we don't understand, what we don't understand is the, is the power structure of angelic beings. Right, I don't know how an angelic being travels in the world. Okay, I mean, I, I don't. I don't. Um, what we do know is that the Bible. That's a really good question. First of all, sis. And so, um, there's two things I would say that the Bible will sometimes interchange demonic with satanic. Okay, and so there are myriads of evil angels, which that's like. I mean, I don't even know how many <laughs> that number is. Okay, myriads of evil angels who have been tricked and lied to. And have joined Satan. Uh, and so though that demonic activity is present. But also uh, Satan himself is present uh, to bring about uh, the, the, lying of the, the, the lying so that the saints of God, as it were, might not be elect. Which will not happen. So, um, so, so I would say that we can use those words um, interchangeably talking demonic activity. I am not ascribing to the fact that Satan only hinders the most powerful Christians. I think that's ridiculous. It seems very man-focused that like Satan's not going to spend time on, you know, he's going to affect John Piper, not Colette. I think that's ridiculous. We don't know Satan's plan because maybe Satan knows that the way things are going, Colette might be the next John Piper. You know what I'm saying? You don't know what's going on. So all I do know is Satan's out here to steal, kill, and destroy. And we also know that there's demonic or demonic realm and there's demonic activity. So I think it's good, like you're saying. And that's my point, is that Satan isn't under everything, uh, but he is under some things. Uh, so really good, really good question. I hope you heard uh, Sis. She was just saying, like, why are we giving everything to Satan when he is not God? By the way, Satan is not an evil God. If you're new here, Mac Avers, I hope you get that. He is a created angel. So that when you talk about battle, I'm not talking like some guy struggling with evil. It's, it's not even, it's, it's almost sad to say battle. I think God does that just to help us give it war imagery. But God speaks and Satan does. Okay? It's not like, oh, let me, it's not, there's none of that. He's a created being, not God. God created him as an angel. Um, second piece, faith prep. When you look at this, this whole sense of tempting, not wanting them to be tempted by the tempter, guys, consider the, the preparation component of faith. I, I just, I marvel, think about our lives. Um, name an area of your life 
that gives you a clear warning where, hey, if you do not train, if you can't handle the rigor and you don't you don't get yourself ready, you will not be able to handle the rigor of the situation. Give me a time in your life where training is important to handle the scenario and yet you still wake up unprepared. Right. Who goes to, t- to study the bar and not study? I mean, to, to take the bar. Who goes to, you know, do a surgery residence and just like, walks in there, like, hey, what are we doing? We're, we're the knives. <laughs> Who does that? Nowhere. Who gets on a horse without taking time to figure out how to ride the horse? I mean, I can't even imagine. I can't even. I mean, my, my boys are 11 years old playing soccer. They, they, they practice three times a week. They're 11. Who does that? Who who says I'm gonna? Oh man, hey, let's go. Hey, hey, man, after church, man, let's fly to Africa and, hi, and we're gonna hike Mount Kilimanjaro. Okay, you and me, Caleb. We be dead up there. Hey, hey, Charles, you and me, let's try for the NFL. Who does it? You see what I'm saying? It's just amazing to me. In every discipline of life in our culture, we understand. Remember, I always tell you things that we do in culture are all little tidbits of God retelling the story of how He operates in His world. I propose to you the reason why we, we, we study for a test and we do all these things is not to just get an A on the test. It's a picture for us to do those things, but also it's a picture for a heavenly reality that just as you gird yourself for any other discipline in the world, how much more are you to gird yourself to be a Christian, to walk with God, to see the tempter come in and you go, oh, no, man, I've been working out. I've been working out. I know my Bible. I walk with Christ by his grace. I, I celebrate who he is. Like, why? Why is it? Why? Why have we given a pass from Christian training? But in every area of life, we get ourselves ready. I propose, guys, my prayer is that it be a passion for our body to uh, to prepare ourselves. Getting in the Word, reading, reading the Bible, like studying the Scriptures, man, praying, uh, building a discipline for prayer, like, like teaching your kids, like, like reading with them and praying with them. And as a community, like, like fasting and, and dis, just growing and, and realizing that this is a war. And saying, I am going, we will be prepared. So when those lies come, I go, no, no, return that to sender. That doesn't, that doesn't come here. It doesn't come here. And the final thing that you see here is this whole concept of temptation versus testing, and we're going to go home, family. Just want to make sure we understand what this means, because this can be a weird one. You know, is Satan testing me? Is God testing? Who's doing what? It seems to like semantics, but I propose it's not. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he tempts no one. Why is that important? Because temptation is being enticed or allured to sin. Okay? God never wants you to sin. 
However, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Verse 20, loving the Lord, your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob to give them. However, what God does do is he does test you. What that means is God is entrusting you, equipping you with an opportunity to make the right choice and obey him. You get that? You get the difference? One is a hater and one is cheering for you. One is saying, I want you to fail. The other says, I'm equipping you to succeed. Deuteronomy 30, he says, let's make it really clear. Here's how it goes. If you believe me, you obey me. You're going to be blessed. However, if you don't, you will be cursed. Right? That's what he says. And he's like, yo, and I've given you evidence, scenarios, so you can go, so you can be equipped to make the right choice. Right? Everyone in this room, God has equipped us by the evidence of his grace to make the choice for God. When we stand before those moments, he's like, don't you remember what I did last week? You remember what I did in all of history? Remember the whole Bible with all that stuff in it when I was faithful to people? Remember Jesus? I gave Jesus to die and rise for you. I did all those things. So I've given you, I've given you the information. I've given you the brainwash to know that this is not going to go well if you choose this. And guess what? You're choosing a guy who already told you, I want you to be evil. I want you to sin. I want you to fail. I'm telling you, I want your good. I want you to succeed. I'm equipping you to succeed. I've given you testimony so you know you can succeed. Who are you going to choose so he tests us to say hey I want you to recognize all this and I want you to choose it that's what I want you see the difference between temptation and testing you got a hater you got a cheer what's interesting only one gives equipping he equips you to to go after it so how shall we live so he says he 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 said, I want, I want you to know that don't believe this tempter. I want you to have someone in your life who can encourage you. How should we live based on all this? I propose that a good next step is just, man, can we be a body, as you look at this passage, who is established in our faith and we establish others? I think that's a good tenor. That, that, I think that's being faithful to the text. That man, just like Paul and the people he's talking to, that we'll be established in our faith, we'll establish others, seen in three ways. Um, strengthen and encourage the people of God. We see in verse 2, right? Reminding them of their, their journey, um, who we stand on, being aware of Satan's schemes, knowing like when he's trying to say, oh no, I, I see this. And then embracing God during those testings. Embracing God, not Satan. As a local community, doing that as individuals, and man, and teaching other people to do that. Remember, everything he's doing here is testimonial and it's also pedagogical. He's trying to teach. Be like this. Okay, we're going we're gonna to respond in worship to hopefully uh, the truth of God's word through our time of, of communion.